You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome this week to America's Web Radio. I'm Ron Bachman, and you're listening to Healthcare Insight. We've been talking for many weeks about how to create a private, free market system in health insurance. Most people want good health care. And the core of what we've been talking about is that you can't really get to good health care unless you have a financing mechanism to pay for that good health care. The way we finance health insurance in the United States is with health insurance. So as we start the process of talking about health care reform, what we really need to talk about is health insurance reform. And that's the core of what many of the previous week's broadcasts have been all about. Now, for those of you who have been listening to us for several weeks, we've gone through the basic ideas, and we've gotten a little bit down into the weeds. And it can be a little complicated if you're really interested in the subject and how it will work. And a lot of you listening have already sent questions to me about, well, how does this really function? What are some of the details? And we've done that. But for those of you who may be joining us this week or happen to come across us on a podcast, I want to give an overview again of what the whole idea is that we've been talking about. And the title of our series has been The Secret of Health Insurance Reform. What are the things that are going on in the background that most people really don't know or understand or maybe even don't care about, but it does control their lives and what products they can buy and what care they can get and when they can get it? I think most of us and all of you listening out there really just want to be able to get the care we need when we need it at a reasonable price. We want it to be convenient. We want to have choices. We want to be informed about what our illness is, if it's a complicated type of an illness. We want to know if there are tests available. We want to know if there's a medication that we can take. Many of us, before we get ill, want to know if there's some early intervention, prevention, or wellness activity that we should take in order to avoid an illness or a disease. We've all been through the last several months, this whole coronavirus situation, where we really don't know, and even today, after several months, we still don't know the facts about this virus. We get conflicting information from the Center for Disease Control. We get conflicting information from the World Health Organization. We don't know what to do. We don't know whether people who are asymptomatic, are able to spread the virus. One day they say yes, one day they say no. We don't know whether sunlight is a disinfectant so that we can go outside during the summer months, whether high humidity has a big impact on it. We don't really know. And with people worldwide studying this, with people from all sorts of organizations trying to study what will benefit us getting back to work, being being able to go back to school, 
being able to go to football games, baseball games, hockey games, whatever your sport is. Our country's been shut down. But what we really know is that ultimately when we get past all of this, when we get past the current crisis of the month, things that are affecting the country in serious ways that we need to change and look at and revisit. As I'm speaking now, we're still after two weeks or more having demonstrations around the country, riots because George Floyd was probably murdered by a police officer intentionally or unintentionally that is yet to be fully determined, but it was wrong. And we all came together. There was no one in this country that denied that that was an evil, wrong event to happen. But at the same time, those of us who want peace in our lives, want peace in our country, want us to come together, black, white, brown, whatever color, we want people to get together and enjoy life. Not looting, not shooting, not killing people. Not the anger that seems to exist in parts of our country. Sometimes anger is understandable, but the violent reaction is hard to imagine. It's hard to understand why when it sort of spirals out of control and people who really don't seem to have much interest in the original cause are using the original cause for their own purposes of chaos and tearing us down as a country. It's hard to imagine, but there are people in this country who really don't want us to advance. When we get through all of this, I think we'll get back to some of the other issues that affect our individual lives as well. Racism in any of its forms, as people have been saying my whole lifetime, is wrong. And we should look at some of our institutions, some of the biases that might exist, both recognized and unrecognized. There's no problem with going and reviewing whether any area of our country Any institution should be looked at and studied as to whether or not it's excluding people, whether it's hurting people, whether its doors are open. And I think the vast, vast majority, 99% of this country, wants to be able to get along and doesn't feel that they are hurting other people in any way, shape, or form, stopping them from having a good family or a good life stopping them from advancing, helping their children to a better life. That's been the story of America. It's why people come here for that better life. And there's lots of opportunities for that. And I heard some millennials the other day say, well, we've only made a little bit of progress. Really? A little bit of progress? When I was a youth, we still had signs that separated whites from blacks. You couldn't sit at a lunch counter the same. You couldn't get on a bus and sit in the same seats. People walked on the other side of the street sometimes. We had the civil rights movement, Martin Luther King. Where's the Martin Luther King today? Where's that leader? Nonviolent protests that were so successful in the 1960s. 
get this country to change, to put in so many programs to help the poorest among us. Well, that same thing is what we've been talking about in healthcare. It's a critical item. We don't need to solve just one problem in this country at a time. We can solve multiple problems. One of the biggest problems is how do we stay healthy as individuals and as a family? So we'll get back to that. So the whole core issue and message that we've been talking about the last number of weeks is how do we help the sickest among us? Just as the general discussion that we've been having the last few weeks about racism in this country, how do we help the poorest among us? How do we help the people who have not had as much opportunity? Well, I'll carry that over into this healthcare discussion and say that we need to figure out how we help the sickest among us. And the way we do that is we have targeted programs based upon risk analysis. What services do you need? What services would help you the most? That's the answer for the discussion we've been having about George Floyd and the death and what it means. How do we help the most needy among us? How do we segment out that population and the risks that it faces and find solutions for it? Because the solutions for that population are different than the solutions that may apply to other parts of our society. Well, in healthcare, it's the same way. People who are really sick with chronic and persistent conditions, they need a different kind of help than people who are generally well. Older people need a different kind of product than younger people. The emphasis for younger people in general might be on wellness, lifestyle, education around drugs, alcohol, lifestyle issues that um, create safety concerns, more awareness of who they are and what they can be and how to not go beyond the um, limits of your own body and doing crazy things, an awareness of your surroundings. Older folks who are more likely to be sick or have an illness or have a um, condition that developed over life, whether that's um, aches and pains and joint issues, they're going to need a different kind of health care. Everybody needs to have that health care finance, but even the financing mechanism can be different. But certainly the support mechanisms underneath that health care need has to be different. We have to be able to focus and target and work on individuals' needs in the health care area and the health insurance area that finances that health care. That's what we've been talking about for a long time. And that's a program that has not been debated, discussed, or even fully fleshed out except for these types of programs that we've been talking about the last few weeks. And the programs and ideas we've been talking about the last few weeks started back before 2008, before Obamacare, where there was some discussion. But it's now been more than 10 years. And those ideas are on the shelf because government moved in a direction that's now proving to be inadequate, proven to have its own problems. We've not solved the cost problem, even though it was supposedly the Affordable Care Act. 
but insurance is not affordable. Healthcare is not affordable. The quality of care issues not been solved. And certainly the access to health insurance has to be more than everybody getting an insurance card when the underlying providers of care don't recognize or accept that card. So we've got to move forward in a different way. And that's what we've been talking about. That's what these proposals are. And understanding the secrets of health insurance reform can get us to the right place. If you're a politician listening to this, you have a special service that you can provide to bring these ideas forward. If you're a think tank listening in, you can have a big impact because you're influential. If you're an individual, the way you buy insurance, the way you vote, the way you write op-eds or editorials or respond on social media to various proposals is going to make a big difference. So that's the introduction this week. Let's take a quick break and we'll come back and we'll talk about the secrets of health insurance reform and how we get to where we need to get. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to America's Web Radio. This is Healthcare Insight. We've been talking about the secrets of health insurance reform and relating it to the need to have very personalized, individualized care for anybody who needs it, regardless of what status they're in, in terms of their own health, and in terms of their age, in terms of their dependency on a family member, being able to do self-help, self-care, needing hospitalization, whatever it is, people need specialized care, personalized care, which is why I have called this concept personalized health insurance. Now, as we go back and talk about what this really means, for those of you who just joining the program or happening upon it today, either on this live broadcast or on a podcast, whatever it is, I want to tell you that the very first thing when we get into a debate about health insurance or almost any topic, even this topic that we're going through about uh, reforming police departments and police tactics, when you hear politicians talk about comprehensive solutions, you know they're lying to you. Because what do they really want when they say they want want to have a comprehensive solution? What they typically mean is they don't want any solution. Because when they talk about comprehensive solution, they throw in more than what they're really saying they're going to focus on. They'll throw in a lot of other issues that don't have anything related to the main topic. And what happens then is that you'll surface a lot of people who are against that legislation because it includes things that aren't related to the targeted topic. So on health insurance, for example, they say we want a comprehensive solution. Well, then they get into Medicare and they get into Medicaid. They get into the um, children's health insurance plan. They get into the VA system and they make it so big that somebody is against some solution in that whole comprehensive concept that they put forward. So the first thing to understand is that comprehensive solutions 
never work because they never get implemented. If you want to have real change, you have to target your change. And then it's kind of like how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time. You have to solve problems by working at the core issues and building a long-term strategy to make real change. As one of the people I followed for many years and worked for, Newt Gingrich, he used to say real change requires real change. So when I'm saying that you take parts of a problem and make change, it's not just nibbling at the edges. It's finding out what the core issues and focusing on that and then building out from it. So, for example, in the concepts of personalized health insurance that we've been talking about the last several weeks, the issue there and what needs to be focused on are the majority of people who have health insurance and build on that to make sure that they get the type of health insurance they need to get the health care that they want. Now, most people get their insurance through employer-based coverages. Your employer pays for anywhere from 50 to up to 100% of the premiums, and you get that benefit on a tax-free basis. Now, unfortunately, not everybody works for a General Motors, a union plan, or a big company like Microsoft, Intel, Walmart, that gets health insurance from their employers. The most people who have problems with health insurance are individuals out there trying to buy health insurance because they're self-employed, they're between jobs, they're a sole proprietorship, and people working for small companies, companies with less than 50 employees. That's the market that really needs to be reformed. So if you're going to go to the heart, you're going to find that core solution That is the core of our problem. Large companies don't have a major problem with health insurance. Therefore, their employees don't have much problem with getting the health care that they want. In fact, many companies are going beyond health insurance and providing all sorts of other benefits for their employees to attract them, to educate them, to make sure that they're productive and that their family members are taken care of. So they're adding things like legal services, financial services, even services for people who have a lot of consultants traveling around the country and they provide daycare services for people who don't otherwise have care for their children when they're leaving home and need to take their children with them. There's all sorts of services like pet care. So don't tell me that large employers have got a major health insurance or health care problem. They don't. The real problem in this country around health insurance and therefore health care is that the small employer, the individual, doesn't have affordable health care at their fingertips. There has to be a change in that part of the marketplace. And that's what personalized health insurance is all about. That's what we've been describing. So that those groups and the individuals within those groups need to be identified in terms of what is their health status, what are their health needs, and developing a specific program to address they and their family's needs. 
That can be done fairly easily, but nobody likes to talk about it. Because in that market, most politicians think of a one-size-fits-all. Obamacare did that, and look how it's failing. One size doesn't fit all. Small groups are different, whether it's a small group in New York City, San Francisco, Atlanta, or in some rural community. They're all different. If those employees are typically older, or if those employees as a group are typically younger, it's a startup company. It's a high-tech startup. It's a mom-and-pop grocery store. Whatever it is, they have different needs. And our insurance needs to be designed around that. But historically, insurance has been a mess of laws and regulations, mainly at the state level. The states have failed us. And while many people believe in federalism, that is where states have more authority in many areas, the area that we tried this in health insurance has failed. And the reason it's failed is because when laws and regulations are written at the local level, too often it's the lobbyists and the powerful insurance companies with lots of money, they get the laws and regulations written to their benefit. We've never had a real free market in health insurance. We've never had the types of products and services that a normal consumer market would demand. There are too few insurance companies because the laws and regulations require an enormous amount of capital, an enormous amount of meeting regulatory requirements. As such, we don't have many new health insurance companies being established. They really should come out of the woodwork. Because health insurance, to a large degree, is a cash flow business. I receive the premiums at the beginning of the month as an insurance company, and then I pay claims during the month. There's a lot more capital-intensive businesses that get started up every day, but not in the health insurance area. And one of the big secrets there is that the existing industry has established Such requirements, not just in capital requirements, but in the laws and regulations and penalties that can come from it, the marketing and distribution services that they have a a chokehold on, the pricing. A new insurance company can't get the discounts that a big insurance company demands from hospitals. So one of the real keys to having a greater level of competition and a more consumer responsive marketplace is to make hospitals publish the cost of their services and not allow somebody just because they're existing big companies out there, big insurance companies to get the benefit of a much lower premium. There's no standard market premium. Hospitals don't even know what the costs are. They just make up costs And then they provide discounts from that cost to various carriers. And some hospitals have such control because maybe they are the only one in the community with maternity ward, with certain services that are needed by any network. And they will force insurance companies to exclude other hospitals 
because they say, if you include that hospital in your network, I'm not going to sign up for your network, and therefore you don't get the maternity ward. Well, every insurance company needs to have good um, baby delivery services. So the games that are played behind the scenes, the general public doesn't even know or understand. And it's really a crying shame that the state-level regulations and the monopolies that exist in many marketplaces by the insurance companies is abused to the detriment of consumers. So how do you break that? How do we stop that from happening? Well, I contend the first step is to focus reforms on the consumer. Increase competition, yes, that's ultimately got to be the solution. But we have to create a level of transparency of costs. But more importantly, if we segment the population by their need and develop products for their needs, the rest of it will sort of follow. Because if we develop products that are targeted towards people with diabetes, asthma, congestive heart failure, and allow that segmentation to be such that if they're truly uninsurable, we segment them away from the marketplace and provide government subsidies for those, the rest of the market will have lower premiums. When the rest of the market has lower premiums, and just by that one act, it should be 15 to 20% lower, then we will have more affordable products for that small group, that small employer, that individual out there who's looking for the coverage that they and their family need. Large companies got plenty of money. They got lots of benefits. They got lots of profits that help support those benefits and a productive workforce. It's the smaller employer that needs the kinds of segmentation that we've been talking about so that their employees can get the lowest premium possible with the best coverage. And that's where a lot of the uninsureds are. And we're going to talk about that in the next segment. So hang with us. We're going to take another quick break, and we'll be back to give you more insights on how we actually develop a free market, private, personalized health insurance. We'll be right back. Want to give your family or loved one the perfect gift? Then go online and check out the TornadoBodyDryer.com. I love mine and the warm heat air massage it gives me after my shower. The Tornado Body Dryer is super. You'll love it and you'll love having one in your shower. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. 
More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to America's Web Radio. This is Ron Bachman, and you're listening to Healthcare Insight. Let's continue with this discussion on how we create a private free market health insurance system so that you and your family can get the health care that you want. There's so many things that are going on that sound complicated, but they're really not. The way all this works, it really starts with the idea that you as an individual, you as a group out there, you as a movement out there, have the power of the vote. It's one of the most powerful tools ever created for humans to have self-governance. You can get that mobilized. If you can get that mobilized, you can control the marketplace. Consumers normally control the marketplace with the buying of products. That's your vote when you buy a product. If when you buy products or you want products and they're not available, that usually tells you that there's an imbalance in power in the marketplace. Something is going on because if you want a product, there are probably hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people who are looking for a similar product. That obviously hasn't happened in health insurance. If you want certain products made available, if you want temporary products or you want health savings accounts that are affordable, if you want to be able to piece together the product and the coverages that you want for your family's needs, if you want to put together a product that has the information that you need because you've got congestive heart failure or diabetes and you want a product that really specializes in that area, while it may cover other areas, it really has special services, special providers, special networks, special support and information available for diabetics, certain home care services, certain advice on how to do personal care services to maintain yourself. What's the latest and greatest information coming out for diabetics to manage their A1C? All those things should be available, but they're not. Why are they not? It's because it's not a true free market. You're not really the consumer when you go to buy a health insurance product. Because while you may have a health insurance product, at the end of the day, when you go seeking health care, who's paying the bill? It's the people that you bought the insurance from. The insurance company is the customer. They get all the service. They get the discounts. They're able to intervene in the delivery of the health care. They can decide what's approved and what's not approved, what's allowed, what's not allowed, what experimental treatments become reimbursable, what services are reimbursable. That's not controlled by you as a consumer. It's controlled by the insurance company. And that has to change. And the way it changes is that we vote for people who want real health reform and focusing that health reform on those who are willing to do risk stratification, identify people 
that in need of certain products and services and allow those products and services to be developed. You see, today what you'll hear is that there's 75 million people uninsured or underinsured. Now, keep in mind the term underinsured when you hear it means that that particular politician wants you to have a much broader coverage than you really need or that you want. Or it's so expensive that you're not going to be able to afford it anyway. So this whole idea that you're underinsured is based upon some politician's interpretation and his definition. I mean, who are they to determine that you're underinsured? You're the one out there buying the products, and if you get the products you want, you're not going to be underinsured. You're going to be insured for those things that you really want. You know, when politicians don't trust the consumer, this is the kind of language that's developed. So we need this risk stratification. And let me delve into the risk stratification a little bit more. I'll identify four major categories of risks. And then there are some sub-risks under that. And I'm not saying that insurance policies have to be divided among these different categories. But this is an example of the different needs that are out there in the marketplace, different needs for people who are out there trying to buy insurance. Well, the risk stratification that I'll throw out there for discussion as example, four categories, people who are well, they have no claims, they're low risk, They have good nutrition and they have an active lifestyle. Those people have need for insurance so that when the time comes, they'll be covered. But right now, their focus and need is on wellness. Their focus and need is on how to stay healthy. They're actually about 15% of the population that in any given year has zero claims. They never submit a single claim. Hard to imagine for those of us who are older and actually have claims, but about 15, even as high as 20% in studies that I've looked at. And I've looked at actual insurance company studies. I'm not talking about commenting on a study that was done by somebody else. I personally have been involved in studies and analysis of insurance company claims, and about 15% of their customers have no claims. Now, they may be shoeboxing there in the year and they haven't met a deductible, so they're never submitted to the insurance company. But that's roughly 15%. There's about 48% that I would classify as generally healthy, and they've got only about 12% of the claims. So if I put those into a single category, and I'll call those people that category well, people who are well, either have no claims or very few claims because they're generally healthy. That totals up to be 63% of the population. And that 63% of the population only has 12% of the claims. So guess what kind of product they need? What kind of services do they need? They need products and services tailored to their interests, which is basically around being healthy and staying healthy and avoiding any kind of claims that they might otherwise generate. So they have a different need. Now let's take a look at a second cat broad category. I'll call this category at risk, acute conditions. 
These are people typically who have claims because they're generated from smoking, high blood pressure, uh, overweight. Now, in this category, you'll have a couple different levels of people. When you're at risk with some of these conditions, you may be hospitalized or significant uh, outpatient services are needed. And that's roughly 6% of the population, and they have about 10% of the claims. There's another 14% of the population that in this category at risk, but they, they don't have a lot of claims. They're sort of in and out of services, in and out of a doctor's office, in and out of some testing that may be necessary. So this at-risk population is about 20% of the total population, and they generate about 25% of claims. So again, you can see just in these two categories, there's different levels of need for health insurance services. The at-risk population needs to have more smoking cessation programs, um, diet and exercise around high blood pressure, maybe uh, anxiety and depression uh, controls. And certainly with overweight in this category, they're at risk for uh, diabetes or pre-diabetics in many cases. And so they need to get the information and help and support. So if we put all this together, that's like 83%, just in these first two categories, 83% of the population that's only generating about 37% of claims. And most of those can be avoided with good information, good support systems in place, good health insurance support systems. Give them the information they need to take care of their health. Now, the last two categories have significant claims. The next category going up the scale from wellness to uh, those with more uh, significant issues, I'll call the chronic and persistent illnesses. These are people with asthma, diabetes, heart disease, and mental health issues that are of some significance. This category I call chronic impaired risks. The chronic and persistent, so they're probably not going to go away. If you've got diabetes, you're probably not going to recover from that. If you've got asthma or heart disease, you're probably not going to recover, but you can stabilize. And this group represents about 16% of the population, but it has 41% of the healthcare claims. And even this category can be broken down into two pieces. Those with high costs, because they don't take care of themselves. They're constantly going back into the hospital. And then the low cost, even though they're chronic, they maintain their health, they watch their diet and exercise, they take their medication, they follow the doctor's orders. They're able to stay out of the hospital until there's no other option for them. So in this category of 16% of the population that are in this chronic impaired, three out of four are in the low category. They stabilize themselves, they take their medication. And that 12% of the population generates 21% of the claims. So you can see on a per-person basis it's high, but it's stabilized more than those who are 
chronic and are constantly going into the hospital, that 4% of the population generates 20% of the claims. So that 16% of the population that's got chronic conditions generates 20, 41% of the claims, and there are that's the area that we really can control the cost of health insurance and health care by stabilizing those that population. The fourth category is what I would call catastrophic impaired risks. Those are people who are truly uninsurable. They've got cancer, rare diseases, have head trauma, burns, PTSD. Those are people who have life-threatening issues, almost non-recoverable, even difficult to stabilize. They've got to be treated and hopefully there's a magic cure for many of those. And we're developing more and more of those magic cures in areas like cancer and some rare diseases. But in this case, the catastrophic impaired risks is only 1% of the population. And that 1% generates 15% of the claims. Now, these people are going to need a lot of information, help, and support. And help and support many times outside of the healthcare delivery system. They may need household support. They may need meals on wheels. They may need somebody who does some visiting nurses services. But they clearly have an entirely different need than any of the other categories. And these last two categories are the sickest among us. These last two categories of the chronic impaired risks and the catastrophic impaired risks is where personalized health insurance can really focus and deliver the right kind of services and the right kind of information. That's the kind of service that we really need and we can really support. Let's take a quick break and we're going to come back and continue with this story, this saga of how to create a private free market system that helps the sickest among us. Whether cruising the strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back for our final session of Healthcare Insight. We've really been talking about so many new ideas. I want to be sure that the focus, again, as we wrap up this week's session, those of you listening out there, what we're really talking about is a private free market system that works. We know that the Republicans haven't really been able to coalesce around one idea, and the Democrats hang their hat on single-payer system, Medicare for all, and just trying to do some reforms to Obamacare to create a private market or a, a public sector alternative. None of that stuff is likely to work. None of that stuff makes any sense. None of that stuff will meet the needs of you listening today. What I've proposed, what I've put forward is a whole new program that is based on risk stratification to get the right services to the people in need of specialized services, whether you're healthy 
or whether you are have whether you have significant impaired risk. Now, if the basis of this whole program, if the mantra is help the sickest among us, how is this risk stratification going to help the sickest among us? Well, in the last segment, I identified about 17% of the population that is either chronic impaired risks, that is people with things like asthma, diabetes, congestive heart failure, maybe COPD, uh, significant mental health issues, and catastrophic impaired, which are things like cancer, rare diseases, head trauma, burns, etc., things that are really devastating. How is this system, if you're one of those, or if you know somebody out there who's got some of these chronic impaired or catastrophic impaired conditions, how are these ideas that I've been suggesting and outlining over the last several weeks really going to help you or your friend? Well, the biggest issue is guaranteeing the issue of a policy that covers any pre-existing conditions if the person was previously uninsured. So how does this personalized health system work? Well, clearly, you have to have a new mechanism to be sure that the chronic impaired risks not only get coverage, but get the coverage they need and if we stratify risks, as I've suggested, that means that people who are well or just minor at risk for claims, they go, those are the ones that go into the doctor's office, maybe have a broken arm, maybe go in for some minor illness, and they get fixed, and they get back to being well. Those people are always going to be okay under almost any system except that they might not be able to afford insurance, in which case they'll probably be able to cover, for the most part, out-of-pocket those lower level of claims. But if you're going into the hospital these days, just the stay of a hospital could be tens of thousands of dollars, even if you go in the emergency room. I can tell you stories that people just go into the emergency room where they think they've got a, an issue that they can't get to their doctor, so they're told, or it's on a weekend, they're told to go to the emergency room, they can wind up with seven, eight, to $10,000 of claims just from that. And they're completely shocked by it. But the issue that I'm talking about in the stratification of risk are these chronic impaired risks and the catastrophic impaired risks. Now, the catastrophic impaired risks and a good number of the chronic impaired risks are going to have very high premiums if we do this segmentation by risk that I've been talking about. So how do we help them afford insurance? Well, the answer is actually pretty easy. The government is currently providing a lot of subsidies under Obamacare to health insurance. Under Obamacare, families with up to over $100,000 a year of income are getting their premiums subsidized. The suggestion is, let's don't try to create a one-size-fits-all where everybody gets something. Let's take our money and focus on the people most in need. And if you're that ill and you can't be maintained at a lower level, if you've got a hereditary disease that puts you at high risk, let's create a special impaired risk 
pool of coverages for those individuals. And I wouldn't even propose a one-size-fits-all for those individuals. They should be allowed options of a high-deductible plan, a low-deductible plan, an HMO, a health savings account, temporary coverage, whatever fits their needs. They ought to be allowed to go into a government-subsidized impaired health support set of plans. Plans that will give them the kind of information we've been talking about, kind of support, kind of opening to the very best specialists across the entire country. People who have worked and had many surgeries in a given situation so that they're experts. Let's go to the best hospitals, have the best records for recovering. Let's give these people access to that best medical care possible. And then as a follow-up, let's give them the best care possible for recovery, for maintaining a better level of health so that they don't have to be re-hospitalized. Diabetic, for example. A diabetic who is maintaining themselves, changed their diet, their exercise, is going to be much lower cost than somebody who doesn't do that, doesn't follow the doctor's orders, doesn't take their medication, lets their blood sugar levels rise to high levels or drop to such low levels. A diabetic who doesn't take care of themselves is at high risk for amputation, for going blind, all sorts of rehospitalization complications. That's what we need to avoid. That's why these people at the very high end of healthcare issues need the best care and the best treatment and the best information, the best support systems. If we do that, we can dramatically lower the cost of health care in this country and therefore the cost of insurance. So the people who are well and at risk are going to have lower premiums because we're going to remove from their pool of shared claims. We're going to remove from their pool people with the chronic impaired and catastrophic impaired risks. And studies show that even though these last two categories have roughly 17% of the population, but 56% of the claims, if we can just stabilize that population, we can have a much lower premium for that group of lives and if we put them into a subsidized program where the government, state, and or federal is paying some of the premiums, then they can have a lower premium as well. And we can give them the type of coverage and support system they want and deserve. So that's how we get to where we need to be. No one else is talking about this. Because it's politically correct just to say, well, everybody's the same, one size fits all. Everybody needs every coverage possible and pay for it all. But the young people don't want to buy into that. So the people that are young and are generally young are in the well and, and the, the minor at-risk category. They decide they don't want to pay for all this other stuff. So they just go uninsured. Even when Obamacare was providing subsidies for them, they didn't want to buy the insurance. Why? Because under Obamacare, it was actually a trick that was implemented 
where the young people's premiums were artificially raised by 50 to 100 percent. And then they were provided subsidies. Well, let's get rid of that trick. And that trick was something that said the premiums between low, low uh, age people and higher age people could no, no, be no more than three to one. So we tried to sort of create this unified pool leveling out the price differential between the low and the high ages. The reality is, from an actual viewpoint, it's more like five times instead of three times. So what happened was that the older folks' premiums dropped and the younger folks' premiums raised, and everybody got some subsidies, but the, but the younger people said, eh, forget it. I'm not going to buy insurance. You raise my premiums more than I'm getting any offsets, so I didn't want to buy insurance before Obamacare, and I certainly don't want to buy it now. So there's got to be a, a better way. And I suggest that better way is a segmentation of risks with subsidies for those at the very high end of the healthcare curve. If we do that, we can actually get to a health reform that makes sense for everybody because not only are we talking about the affordability of premium by segmentation of risk, but even more importantly, We're talking about segmentation of risks so that the products and services and information and the support systems behind your health care are uniquely designed for the people in that category and the services that they want and need now. The service that your family wants and needs now. So insurance really needs to be personalized to what each individual is in whatever stage of life they're in, if they're young and healthy, if they're older and sick. They may be young and sick, and they may may be older and healthy. They may have temporary issues. They may be having some accidents. They may have caught a disease that um, needs to be um, uh, addressed so they can get back to being well. And we're talking about health care because if we get through the health care issue, you know, there's so many other things that can create a full and productive life and to keep you healthy. Some people may need more of a benefit uh, and information on wellness, well-being. Others might need financial information so that they can be sure that they are accumulating dollars for when they actually have health care costs and it's not a lot of out-of-pocket expense as well. So there's a lot of things that can be done, but don't let the politicians fool you and get a sidetrack by talking about comprehensive health insurance reform because the reality is that means we get nothing done. Let's talk about focused, targeted health insurance reform that allows for the recognition of reality. The reality is that we are all in different healthcare statuses and we ought to have premiums, insurance products, services, information, that meets our needs in whatever part of that spectrum we're at. Yes, we'll move around over time from one category to another. But that high end, that catastrophic, and that chronic impaired risk, those folks are probably never going to be well because that's why they call it chronic and persistent. So that's the overall prescription, solution, ideas for how do we get to a free market, personalized health insurance That's affordable for everybody out there who wants insurance. Guaranteed coverage, coverage of pre-existing conditions. We can do this if these ideas just generate themselves 
through not only the population, but to the policymakers and to the insurance companies, the insurance commissioners, to the media. So think about your part and what you can do. You've made the first step of getting informed. Now let's take some action together. Thank you, and we'll talk to you next week. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.